listening to the Locked On Broncos podcast, hosted by Cody Rourke, your daily Broncos podcast. Begin a very fun series over here at the Lockdown Broncos podcast. Here in the offseason, we talk about there's not a lot of things that are going on. We know the news of Pat Shermer now being the offensive coordinator officially for the Broncos in light of them firing Rich Scangarella. But today, I'm joined by a special guest, Joe Rouse of Mile High Report. We're going to be breaking down our film review series. Now, you guys are going to hear week one through week four through the eyes of Joe and myself, some of the notes that we took back on going back and watching the film study. We broke everything down, expectations heading into the season and where things are at knowing what we know now going back and revisiting week one week two week three and week four all in today's episode of locked on broncos i'm your host cody work nfl analyst and broncos insider for the locked on nfl network you guys can follow me on twitter at cody work nfl don't forget to follow the show as well at locked on broncos but hey you know let's get into the bread and butter of this right here i'm very excited to welcome joe rouse of mile high report here to the podcast you guys can follow him on twitter at joe row underscore NFL, and he's got a lot of great content, film content, obviously a lot of great work over there, Mile High Report. Joe, how are you doing today, my friend? Thank you so much for jumping on here with me on this film review series. Yeah, I'm good. Happy to be here. With that said, let's not waste any time. We got week one, the Oaklanders. So before we dive into the matchup of the Monday Night Football and the outcome of that, Joe, what were some of your expectations looking at this Broncos team, knowing that Joe Flacco coming into the season was a starting quarterback for Denver? Uh, The expectations, I think, defensively, they were expected to be dominant and, and going back to what many people saw in that San Francisco 49ers preseason game of maybe what could have been with Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, just the havoc they caused on Jimmy Garoppolo in that offensive line early on in that game. Obviously, the game where Drew Locke would go out with an injury. And obviously, we talked about the Denver Broncos offense maybe having an explosive running attack based on what they did in 2018. What were your expectations for this team heading into the 2019 season? I was pretty cautious about it just because of all the questions on the offense. I thought the Broncos would finish within two games of eight and eight. Could be either way. I wasn't sure if they'd be six and ten or ten and six, but I thought it would be within that range. I thought the defense would end up really dominant throughout the year. Uh, the pass rush with Chad uh, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, I thought they were going to be outstanding and basically just set the tone for the whole defense. And then. Back when I first thought about it, there wasn't a lot of questions about Bryce Callahan, so I thought the secondary was going to be really outstanding. Isaac Yadam was really good in the preseason, and Devontae Bosby showed a lot of promise. So I thought the defense would be really good, but I thought all the questions on the offense, it was just going to be slow going early. And Denver had a really tough schedule coming out with with uh, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the I mean, the Raiders were up and coming. The Bears had just come off. You had Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So I thought it would be 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 10-6 if certain breaks went their way. And unfortunately, I mean, knowing what we know now, finishing the season 7-9, and nine, not the season I think any of us expected, starting off 0-4, which we're going to cover the first four weeks of the regular season here. And let's start off here with the Week 1 matchup against the Oakland Raiders, Monday Night Football on the road. The Broncos heading into this matchup, I, I think, you know, those storylines that you just mentioned, you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, maybe at some point Bryce Callahan would return for the Broncos at some point. Coming into this game, you'd have Chris Harris Jr. and Isaac Yadam starting off at corner. And from that standpoint, too, the 
the Broncos were also without Todd Davis, which going back and watching this Oakland game, I completely space at their starting lineup at inside backer was Josh Watson and Josie Jewell. And certainly that's where we saw a lot of success from Josh Jacobs in the run game, Derek Carr in the quick passing game. Uh, what were some notes that you have? And I'll share mine with you based on that week one matchup, uh, what you observed in that game. Well, I mean, you just touched on one of the big ones. The the inside linebacker spot was just a huge problem in this game. Uh, so much so that people probably forget that Mike Purcell actually played in the first game of the year. Uh, and he played well. I had notes about how well he played. But the thing is, just the second level behind him was just... I mean, we had Corey Nelson playing a lot of snaps. Corey Nelson was signed less than a week before playing in this game. And you could just see it. The leveraging, the run, uh, meeting at the second level, kind of getting off blocks... The Raiders kind of had their way once they got past Purcell and the the defensive line. And another guy that played really well, too. Let's talk about Bradley Chubb. Now, we know in this four-week stretch, the Broncos would end up losing Bradley Chubb for the remainder of the season with a torn ACL. But to me, on film, Bradley Chubb stood out in a big way. And not just in terms of his play, but I mean, it almost seemed like he played with a big sense of energy. And when you take a look at his edge contain him squeezing the outside tackle, especially on that run gap, I, I felt like he did a great job. He was everywhere. There was a play, and I actually shared it with Bradley Chubb, who quoted it on Twitter and shared it as well, you know, motivation for him coming back into 2020. Uh, the tackle tried to cut block him. He knocked the you know the offensive lineman's hands down, got his hand up and almost intercepted a pass, but deflected Derek Carr's there. Bradley Chubb was all over the place. And, you know, he was a standout guy, but in terms of a guy that stood out in not such a great way, going back to Kareem Jackson, he, he had to play the slot in the nickel position in this game and for a couple of weeks. And I felt like that really kind of put him out of place. And once he transitioned to strong safety at the midpoint of the season, Things kind of reverted back to normal to where he was able to make some of these plays that we grew so fond of. But, you know, on Bradley Chubb, Kareem Jackson, what did you have by watching the Raiders game? Bradley Chubb looked really good. Setting the edge was a big question coming in. Uh, if you remember his, his rookie season, he had a high sack total, but there was a lot of questions. I know PFF knocked him really hard for his run defense. And there were some games definitely where he just wasn't setting the edge hard enough. And he came out and he showed some of that in this game. And his effort level chasing down runs just... He was a lot more stout than you expected coming into the season. And that was a really, it was encouraging. It was a, it was a good development. Uh, as far as Kareem Jackson, it's kind of interesting by the end of the year, the fact that Kareem Jackson, Will Parks sw- switched roles and they looked a lot better for it because in this game, Will Parks also had issues and Kareem Jackson at slot. He was okay, but he wasn't enough to make up for some of the issues elsewhere. And yeah, it, it weakened the whole secondary. You, you combine that with the fact that Derek Carr had a really good quick game and they were ready for it. And it completely negated the rush. Basically, at the, at the second level, basically both the run and the pass, I think Derek Carr just had his way with the defense. And we've seen that against Denver for the last couple of seasons. Just a quick passing game, knowing, you know, again, zone coverage, some spot coverage there, you know, connecting with, you know, Tyrell Williams. Also, Darren Waller, which was the early storyline of this matchup. Yeah. Isaac Adam, you know, did, hats off to John Gruden. He saw that Isaac Adam at six foot one would have to go against a six foot six guy in isolation. And Darren Waller is a fast, big physical dude. He's a, he's, he reminds me a lot of Julius Thomas in a sense. Uh, but that's where John Gruden went to early in that game. And, and for, you know, Isaac Adam, we talked with Mark. Mario Vitanzi in our well-adjusted segment, you know, he, was, he talks and he works with Isaac Adam all year long, said that he really lost his confidence on that because, you know, you got fans, every little catch he gives up, you know, he's booing him. But there was times he's in great position. His biggest issue 
has been finishing and finding the football. You know, I say that from week one all the way to once we get to week 17, he evolved completely in that. But, you know, the offensive storyline in this game here, Joe, was the fact that early on the offense led by Joe Flacco. This is where Cortland Sutton came up big. I mean, he was huge. Uh, I think it was really the start of Cortland Sutton's climb. And we mentioned, you know, a 37-yard catch and run across the middle of the field. Um, And then penalties on the offensive side of the ball kind of brought them back a little bit. The offense started off very stagnant, uh, but they also made a push late, uh, you know, factoring in Deshaun Hamilton. In my opinion, a very underrated blocker. I know you've highlighted this several times in some pieces on there. But even Royce Freeman, he actually looked fast and he looked fresh at the beginning of the season. It was much different as the season went on. Agreed. The first two weeks of the season, Royce Freeman looked like he was going to be the 1A or 1B type of running back. And then that showed up in this game. The other thing, like you said, Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton had a really nice post route where he got wide open over the middle against a two-man too high, uh, which would be like cover two or like a shell like that. And Flacco found him. And it was one of those games where it was really encouraging because Flacco's – Came in and everyone was kind of excited about his arm strength. And that was one of those throws where he wasn't necessarily completely on time, but he had the arm strength to get the ball to Sutton in time before the defensive back got there. And that was really helpful. Uh, It's interesting looking back because the first two games of the year, the offense was actually probably what kept them in the games. Whereas the defense was the biggest issue. Well, too offensively, too. Noah Fant. I mean, he probably had the worst start of a rookie that you could even imagine. And it ends with a you know negative five-yard run on a tight end and around first play scrimmage. Several penalties, holding, block in the back. This guy had a very rough start to his National Football League debut when everything counted in the regular season. It's glad to know that over that time, he actually improved. And, you know, that bust narrative that a lot of people had thrown out immediately. I mean, probably on that first play, people are saying, why? Are we running that play with him? He's a bust. Uh, that kind of changed a little bit. And I, I think a key play in that game, too, we go back to. Deshaun Hamilton drops a wide-open touchdown in yeah. the end zone. That shifted all momentum away from the Broncos. Well, not only that, but I think over the course of these first couple of games, Deshaun Hamilton's performance and that big drop really kind of led Joe Flacco to essentially freezing him out. Uh, we'll get to it later, but there are games where Deshaun Hamilton's open and he just didn't get targets. And part of that is I don't think Joe, Joe Flacco had confidence in him to bring bring the ball in. It was almost like Peyton Manning back in the day with Cody Latimer, that type of relationship yep. that they had had there. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, the outcome of the Oakland Raiders game. We're getting into the Chicago Bears game week two coming up in just a moment. But before we do that, I got to remind you guys to check out at Locked On NFL Net on Twitter. It's your one-stop shop for every single local expert in the Locked On NFL Network covering their respective teams in their local markets. You get them all on one feed anytime there's breaking news. So whenever the Broncos had fired Rich Scangelo, I posted a tweet out. You got it on the at Locked On NFL Net feed, courtesy of every single local expert being tied into the Twitter profile at Locked On NFL Net on Twitter. Shoot it to follow today. All right, Joe, jumping into the end of week one and the beginning of week two here for our film series review session. We're going to analyze weeks one through 17 all the way through, and we're going to analyze 2020 once we get things. That's going to be something you guys can look forward to here in the coming weeks on the show. And uh, you know, to talk about the end of that Raiders game, obviously a 24-16 to 16 loss. The Broncos offense it took a little bit to get going. Uh, we saw you know the end of half, right before halftime, Brandon McManus attempting that 64-yard field goal. It came just short. I mean, it looked 
look good on the broadcast. Unfortunately, I think the camera angles don't always show uh, whether or not it's good, especially when it's the long attempts, especially if it drops off below the crossbar. Uh, you know, there was that. Outside of that, I think Brandon McManus played a pretty good game. I mean, he he was a big reason they were close in a lot of these games, but the, the one touchdown they would find would be to Emmanuel Sanders, who was just trying to get in rhythm at this point. Sutton ended the game with more receiving yards, but Sanders had a touchdown as of late. And unfortunately, the Broncos just couldn't get a stop defensively. Josh Jacobs over 100 yards rushing. And this would begin sort of the narrative of the first four weeks of the Broncos struggles against the run. So let's get into the week two matchup against the Chicago Bears and the Broncos. They lost this one 16 to 14 last second field goal by Eddie Pinheiro, a heartbreaker. Um, But ideally in this game, Joe, there were several things that stood out to me. I think the Broncos offense, it played better than it did week one against the Oakland Raiders. Uh, They still played a very talented defense. One of the things I wrote a note down, I said it was not ideal to leave Noah Fant one-on-one on the outside, a rookie versus Khalil Mack. And obviously it led to a sack. Uh, You know, Basic thoughts on here on this game, especially on that play. I mean, one of the big questions about Noah Fant coming out of Iowa was his blocking. And so in week two, to basically throw him right up against one of the best edge rushers in the league was probably not ideal. Uh, And we're not necessarily touching on this, but that's one of those things I'm looking for with uh, the Pat Shermer offense is kind of instead of essentially trying to make him into George Kittle, he's kind of starting to fit it. Like now he'll try and fit into the Evan Ingram role. And I think that might help him. Uh, one of my big questions coming into this game though, is Joe Flacco, which was weird because after the Oakland game, the, the, the numbers were really high on him. I think he had ninth in terms of QBR according to ESPN. But when I looked at the tape of the first game, I had questions about his red zone performance because on third down situations in the 20, he had a missed pass and two sacks. And one of those sacks was him just, he was holding the ball too long. So it was really encouraging in the bears game, how he came through at the end in the red zone. Because again, I it was hard to have faith in it, and then he he delivered. So when I go back to that almost a similar play design too, the what we saw the scoring play with Emmanuel Sanders, they tried to do that a little earlier, and uh, Kyle Fuller made a hell of a football play there. Uh, you know when you have that stack kind of twins formation, a lot of times in the goal line they'll combo at the corner, and the inside guy will combo. If anything comes outside, the corner is going to take that. Anything comes inside, the slot's going to take that. And and Fuller did a great job playing that. And I feel like a lot of corners against Joe Flacco tended to play a little bit in outside leverage because they know that he loves the out routes. It's one of his staples as a player and obviously on the quick hitches as well. But going there, we, you know, Bradley Chubb was still playing at an unreal level of play. The Broncos weren't necessarily getting those quarterback sack statistics. They were trying to get pressure on Trubisky. Uh, but I'd say this is a game defensively where I think we really saw the climb in Justin Simmons game and it could have hurt them early on on this play. It was third and nine and Mitch Trubisky finds Tariq Cohen. I mean, wide open. Justin Simmons gets there in coverage and gets a fingertip on that pass and knocks it away. I mean, that was a phenomenal football play, but this started to be the rise a little bit of Justin Simmons in this matchup. Great. His, his recovery on that play was insane. And it's one of those things that I think, again, on broadcast cam, people don't often see some of the stuff that where he'll make up and defend other people. And it's one of those things that just makes, makes him really impressive. Uh, Justin Simmons, yeah, I, I don't even have words for it. It was an amazing play. When he just comes back to the, just the climb, and I think consistency, because when he was playing in Joe Wood's scheme, he was out of place. He was doing everything, and it was almost like he had to think way too much. In Fangio's system, he's just been plugged in, and it seems as if he knows exactly where to go, where to be, where to line other guys up, and and he's got a certain spot to be, and he certainly played at a very high level and is probably going to ma- demand a pretty good contract, as we saw what Eddie Jackson just got in Chicago. Uh, but one other thing, too, here. Can we talk about this? Because I think the NFL 
needs to take a look at it. Uh, Derek Wolf was called twice in this matchup for defensive holding by a lineman for trying to get off a block. Now, there was one play where it seemed like he wrapped around the tailback who came and chipped him, uh, more likely a chip and release type play. But calling defensive holding on a D tackle is trying to fight off a double team. I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of that. One of the things looking back on the first four games of the season that really was amazing is it almost felt like a game of Madden where you're messing with the sliders between every single game and the penalties were just all over the board. There was no consistency with what was a penalty and what wasn't because there were very clear offensive holding, what should have been offensive holding penalties in this game, and that's both sides. But then you look at the uh, the Jacksonville game and they people were getting away with everything. And it was crazy. Like it, It's... It's just it's so inconsistent. And I mean, honestly, it, well, it was like the uh, the roughing the passer call at the end of the game and it cost Denver the game. And that's one thing, too, I want to go back on. I mean, it's just like the disparity between, OK, is this a is this a quality call? I mean, you go back, I think NFL officiating all across the board. And I said this all year long because I know there was a, a crowd of people saying, look, the Broncos and the officiating haven't been really tied up. I said, look, the NFL and the officiating hasn't really been on the same exact page either. I mean, it's a league wide problem. Um, and I know this is something that's discussed every single year, unfortunately, for the Broncos goes in this one. I just, I think they got to get rid of that defensive holding call for defensive linemen that are trying to shed a block from a guard or a tackle, a double team, a triple team, or the fullback coming through. I just think it uh, leaves a lot of room for some muddy water there. But one thing I want to talk about too, the Broncos D-line depth in this game, I felt like was tested. And periodically, one guy that I watched had his struggles at the defensive end position, Adam Gotsis. You know, this is a guy that I continue to watch get pushed back multiple yards behind the play, not even being able to go inside the play. Um, he was pushed back sometimes towards where the linebacker depth would usually be. That is a big reason why Vic Fangio had benched him. Agreed. This is the first game where it became really obvious. One of the the things with the Raiders is the Raiders, and we didn't, I don't think we appreciated it at the time, but the Raiders had one of the best offensive lines in the league last year. Richie Incognito, even though we had all those jokes about him because of hard knocks, he turned into one of the better left guards. So it was easy to kind of overlook Gossis because I knew the Raiders were going to have an okay line, but no one expected the Bears line to be that good. And Gossis just didn't really show up. You combine that with Corey Nelson and Josie Joel just not really leveraging their gaps again. They were slow to fill and it just created a huge issue off the uh, the right side. And for the Broncos in this matchup, they would lose on a heartbreaker. And you go back to that roughing the passer call that gave them another opportunity to move the ball downfield. No timeouts. Uh, one timeout remaining. Mitch Trubisky would then find Allen Robinson on fourth and long and a little bit of a busted coverage. And that would set up the game winning field goal by Eddie Pinheiro. That was a heartbreaker. And you had to feel it. Well, one of those things is uh, I, I play a lot of Madden when I'm not watching tape. And I've had two different situations that essentially turned into a Mitch Trubisky situation where I have one second remaining on the clock. I have a timeout. And I guess EA Sports is going to have to add that for Madden 21 because I was not able to get a timeout in either situation as quickly as he was. Well, and the fact that they were able to say the back judge was able to say that they called the timeout so quickly. When you look at the play clock and you look at, you know, whether the fact that Robinson was down or touched, it was 0-0. And so I, I guess, you know, I, I don't know if you can call a timeout before a play is actually blown dead, but that was the case in Denver, unfortunately. And that led to an 0-2 start for the Broncos here in our film series review. We're going to get weeks three and four coming up here in just a moment but i gotta remind you guys if you guys love the show if you guys like lockdown broncos you're a denver sports fan well then you got to be tuning into the lockdown nuggets podcast hosted by adam Mades 
and Harrison win. They do a phenomenal job piecing together the X's and O's, the statistics, the analytics of everything Nuggets basketball related, especially with the Charlotte Hornets matchup coming up this evening. They got that at the Pepsi Center here on Wednesday, and you guys can catch all the action and the recap from Harrison Wynn, Adam Adamatis, host of Locked On Nuggets. All right, Joe, we're jumping into weeks three and four here on the final part of today's episode, Lockdown Broncos, our film review series, recapping weeks one all the way through 17, the gamut of the Broncos high and low season. Unfortunately, you know, now we're starting off at the part where the Broncos probably face the most adversity as a team collectively, but now they're on the road week three, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, who happened to be playing in the NFC championship game this week. And you got to like the fact that the Broncos schedule, we knew it coming into the season was going to be very tough, uh, but I think the Broncos have a lot to hang their hat on in terms of teams that they played that made it to the playoffs and and Green Bay led by Aaron Rodgers. I mean, coming out in this very first series, Aaron Rodgers connected downfield deep and this is where some of Isaac Adams' confidence issues and struggles had continued and unfortunately, I mean, they scored very quickly and it kind of put the Broncos in a precarious situation to start the game being down 7-0. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, it was a, one of those penalties where it's just a mental gaffe and Aaron Rodgers has gotten people on it before and he did there. One of how many times have he has he scored on the free play? I mean that that is something oh. we see all the time. He just knows where to go, and it's not like defenses. A lot of defenses don't even try to stop it. It seems like it seems like okay, we know we jumped, we know the play's coming back. All right, we're not going to play as hard. Bam, touchdown. Okay, well we don't need to take the penalty because we just scored. I was really proud though the way that the Broncos had responded, and as you mentioned, I mean Royce Freeman was banged up a little bit in this game, and he actually had a couple big runs. I mentioned a Cortland Sutton, a deep bomb we. Saw down the right side of the field by Joe Flacco. Then things started to get a little tricky right before halftime. The Broncos had a pretty good lead. They were controlling the time of possession, run the ball effectively between Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, getting some things going. And then all of a sudden you have a fumble. Noah Fant fumbles the ball. There's turnovers. Joe Flacco fumbles the ball. Those turnovers right there lead to 14 points. And obviously in a 27 to 16 loss, you lose by 11. That is the biggest difference there, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. I mean, you you look at the actual team stats. Denver was nine of seventeen on third and fourth down in this game. That's good enough to, against the Packers, considering how bad Aaron Rodgers was on third down. That's good enough to stay in the game. It's just the turnovers, the turnovers and the sacks. Joe Flacco took six sacks in this game, and looking back at them, all of them, two of them were very clearly on him. So I. It, People were blaming the offensive line after this game, but this is the first game where it started to become really apparent that Joe Flacco had an issue locking onto receivers, and it started to show because Mike Pettin started to take advantage of it. One of the other things that really, really came out of this game that was a highlight was Cortland Sutton really arrived as a wide receiver one. Uh, going into this game, I remember talking to Ryan Edwards over on KOA, and I told them that I was I believed in Cortland Sutton. He had arrived, and then in this game, he just he blew up Kevin King. He made him look foolish he had a really nice double move he he just he arrived this is the game where it started to be very clear that Cortland Sutton had made the jump between year one and year two and this was also another one of those games where Deshaun Hamilton find himself open several times zero targets and this was sort of the uh, the exodus of Hamilton with Joe Flacco in that system and you know for Noah Fant too we go back to that turnover that he had had we talked about you know it was an inopportune time he's got to secure the ball with two hands allows the defensive back to rip it out I think he's learned from some of these mistakes periodically. Now, this was one for him. Obviously, the Kansas City game uh, a few weeks later was another one that I felt like he ends up learning from as we're going to break it down here on our film review series. But going back to this game, too, unfortunately, those turnovers doomed the Broncos in, in terms of points allowed by Green Bay, and the Broncos didn't have enough offensive firepower. They had to abandon the run game, which was working for them due to the fact that they were down 
you know, at one point, 14 points in this game. So I think when you go back in hindsight, this team played relatively well against a very good football team that they were trying to find their their offensive identity, defensive identity themselves in Green Bay with Matt LaFleur coming in with Aaron Rodgers, the new system there. While Rodgers didn't look great, you know, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, those guys, you know, had an impact on this game defensively. Jair Alexander at the cornerback position against Sutton. You know, we've seen this is where we see the guys climb a little bit, having some of that success um, early on. But I'd say the biggest thing, too, if I can go back and look at it, is the Broncos offense. And as you mentioned, I, I think quarterback sacks are, you know, I mean, sacks can be a quarterback statistic, as you have pointed out sometimes. And Joe Flacco would, especially on third down, this was his story from weeks one, two, three, and four. Just the amount of sacks that he took holding the ball too long on third down because teams will play tighter coverage in certain situations, especially short yardage. And that's an area where he really struggled. Well, and one of the other things that really showed up here in this game was Joe Flacco was tentative with the ball. There's there's times where he just wouldn't give his receiver a chance because I, I guess part of me wonders if it was because he didn't want to get intercepted or risk interceptions or just didn't trust his receivers. Uh, and it showed up in the red zone. I think uh, Scangarell called a mesh concept. And Flacco could have found Fant on a comeback right in front of him in the end zone, and he didn't try and squeeze the ball in. There was a there was a defender coming down on it, but he could have probably got the ball beyond him, and he never even threw it. He just ended up taking a sack, and that that was very alarming, I think, for Broncos country. And look, you know, Joe, one thing I do want to mention is, you know, for a good portion of the season, there were times where you and I rightfully would defend some of Joe Flacco's play and Broncos country would, you know, pine at us for the way that we viewed it. But there's times where we're also like, you know, realistic with Joe Flacco's play. And a lot of it came after film review too. And, and certainly, you know, while Joe Flacco's veteran status it wasn't enough to get the Broncos over the hump here in 2019 I think the biggest thing early on though is that it gave I think Broncos fans a little bit of a hindsight into maybe what things could be like with a mobile quarterback because Joe Flacco was far from mobile and I'd say that was one of the biggest things that was frustrating me I mean this guy took some shots and uh, no wonder why he had to go out on IR with that neck injury because I mean this guy got blindsided he had whiplash I mean it was just ugly for Joe Flacco all along and the Broncos were going to lose this one early on 27 to 6 16 on the road at Lambeau Field, which thankfully they didn't have to play in December. But let's get to week four here. This is our final week here on our first episode of the film review series. The Broncos host the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this was really where I'd say everybody in Broncos country probably went into depression mode deep down. Uh, The Broncos that we were playing really good in the first half, they held that lead. And all of a sudden, Joe Flacco throws an interception before halftime. It leads to a momentum change. Overall, in the entire game, the second half, I mean, they come out, Jacksonville comes out with Gardner Minshew. Um, I mean, someone like the Broncos couldn't bring him down. He was orchestrating magic in the pocket, stepping up, uh, throwing touchdowns on third and fourth down. And then all of a sudden, you know, here comes Leonard Fournette with a big surge in the second half and ends up with over 200 yards rushing. For you collectively, what was your roller coaster of how you felt from the beginning of this game to the end of the game? Also knowing that Bradley Chubb towards ACL was still played and then ended the game. And, and we found out the news afterwards. And I think everybody was just devastated. And, and everyone's like, okay, look, the season's over. An 0-4 start, the worst possible start possible for the Broncos. But they overcame it and they rose above after the darkness that was the first four weeks. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me that Denver was going to finish 7-9 and nine after starting 0-4, I wouldn't have believed you. Because this this start was basically it was the bottom. Basically, this is about as low as Denver got throughout the season, other than maybe the Chiefs game. But uh, the first half, it was kind of a tale of two halves. In the first half, up until Joe Flacco's interception, the passing game looked really unstoppable. 
And then the pick was basically about a six to 10 point swing, depending on how the score was going to wind up. But in the second half, Todd Wash, the Jaguars defensive coordinator at the time, he went more into more fire zones and he basically dared Flacco to find his second or third reads and he just wouldn't do it. And it basically shut down the passing offense, which it was the difference in the game. Uh, the one reason Denver even kind of stayed in this game was because uh, Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Emmanuel Sanders got hurt and he ended up playing through pain on the drive that gave Denver their last lead. And then Cortland Sutton had a really, really nice touchdown in the last two minutes. And this was a game for him too. I believe he had two touchdowns in this game. He didn't have the overall production in terms of like over 100 yards. But when you look at his value, his ability to get open in the goal line, his route running had improved so much from week one all the way to week four. That's one thing I was really looking for too, especially against physical press on the outside. And, you know, his ability to get the DB to open up his hips as if he was running a fade and then cut back inside on a slant or a post route. He was able to find some bread and butter work. And, and this is where the evolution really kind of took fold. I would say a bright spot for the Broncos in the first four weeks was definitely Cortland Sutton. You didn't see too much of that from Emmanuel Sanders. And obviously we knew Emmanuel Sanders' time in Denver at that point would start to be coming to an end. And so they were looking at getting Cortland Sutton involved a lot more alongside Noah Fan. I mean, no surprise there that, you know, the Broncos' top two receiving threats were Sutton and Noah Fant. Outside of that, the third leading receiver all year long for them, Guess who it was? Emmanuel Sanders, who they trade away at the midpoint of the season. So it goes to the volumes to where this Broncos offense was and where they were lacking at the quarterback position. I mean, Cortland Sutton was one of those guys, which obviously brings us to the point that, look, they may need to look at a wide receiver in this year's NFL draft, which Joe and I will actually talk about once we get through week 17. We conclude our whole series review session here. Lockdown Broncos. We're going to be back next week for weeks five all the way through eight. We're going to break it down for you where the Broncos are at after the fact that Bradley Chubb towards ACL. They get their first win of the season and all is well in Broncos country and things start to transition a little forward and uh, looking forward to breaking that down here with you, Joe. Joe, thank you for joining me here for part one of our film review series here on the Lockdown Broncos podcast. And I look forward to breaking it down here for the next couple of weeks until the end of the season. Yeah, it's been fun. All righty. You guys can catch Joe on Twitter at Joe Rowe underscore NFL. Great content over there, over there, Mile High Report as well as film study, film breakdowns on his Twitter feed. You guys get a lot of action. And, of course, you guys heard him here today on today's episode, Lockdown Broncos. But that'll do it for today's episode, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you tomorrow for a brand-new episode of the show. We're going to dive into a lot. we got a mailbag Wednesday here from Broncos country all across the Twitter sphere and, obviously, on the email, codeworknfl.com.